Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and I am very excited to be here with Jennifer Hahn today of the Moms Demand Action Group. Uh, and and since, oh, sorry, you're going to have to tell me. What's yeah, the other Moms one? Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. There you go. Okay, sorry about that. And um, we, I am just um, really um, thrilled to be talking about the legislation that is passing through the Indiana State Legislature concerning uh, safe and responsible gun ownership or not, um, because I am not finding much about it in the news. So uh, part of my mission is to get information out there about what is really happening in the Indiana State Legislature. So um, Jennifer comes to us directly from the State House today. And so, uh, so I want to hear the updates. I know there's uh, one bill that, well, there was many bills um, that were encouraging uh, gun ownership without background checks, without permits. Um, one of them, it, it sounds like, has, is moving through and will come out of committee and get um, voted on. So tell us about that bill, Jennifer. Sure. So uh, this is House Bill 1369, authored by Ben Smaltz and... Um, Basically, what we had in front of us was a group of seven bills, which all did about the same thing. This is what we call permitless carry. So in Indiana, a gun owner who wants to carry in public, meaning that it's in a holster, it's concealed, you don't necessarily see it on them, they have to have a permit, which is issued by their local police department. So if I wanted to go and get a gun permit, what I would do is I would go to the state police website, I would fill out a form, and then I would go to my local fingerprinting uh, area. It could be the police department, it could be the sheriff's office, it just depends on what your county does. And I submit my fingerprints. That's it. In Indiana, it is free to get a five-year license to carry a, a handgun concealed. They passed that in 2019, and that went into law on July 1st of 2020. Then there's also a lifetime one. So you only have to do this process once, but you do have to pay a fee, which is about, I think, $75 to $100. Uh, and then you're allowed to carry it for the rest of your life from the issuance of that permit. That's what we have now. What House Bill 1369 seeks to do is get rid of that process. So in other words, I could go out, I could buy a gun from my neighbor in a private sale because that's legal here in Indiana. I never have to show an ID to purchase that gun. And then I could conceal carry tomorrow without ever having anybody make sure that, you know, I'm not a felon, that I don't have some sort of prohibition on my record that keeps me from carrying that there's no check in that system. That's what House Bill 1369 basically does. So we know that um, nationally, the sales of guns has just skyrocketed. Um, just in, I think January was another record-breaking month mm -hmm. of gun sales. And so uh, this is, you know, this is a regulated gun sales. And so, um, so now we're really getting into the area of, you know, uh, many, 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 many gun rights advocates have said, we have to just make sure that, you know, people who should have guns have guns. So now we really are giving up on that, aren't we? Um, we're right. just saying just anybody can have a gun. Right, that's kind of where we already are in Indiana because in Indiana alone, um, during that rise in sales, in 2020, we sold 2 million guns with a background check. So if we sold 2 million guns, that means a third of the state 
if every person only bought one gun, um, was able to purchase a firearm with a background check. But then we also have lax background check laws or lax sales laws. So you could go and buy in a private sale and we don't have any knowledge of how many private sales took place. Uh, and like I said, you don't have to show an ID. You don't have to necessarily know who you're selling to in those private sales. They're unregulated sales, which is why we have such an explosion of gun violence across Indiana. Um, 2020 wasn't just a record in gun sales. It was setting records in gun homicides and gun violence. Uh, we saw already in January, we've had 100 shootings in Indianapolis. Now, not all of those have resulted in homicide death, but those are lives that were affected mm -hmm. by a gun that now will have to deal with injury probably for the rest of their lives. That's a family that has to come up with, you know, all sorts of solutions on the fly in a time of COVID, in a time when, uh, you know, money is tight for a lot of people. So all of that just compounds. And now it, the solution that our legislature has put forward is, well, let's just do away with gun laws. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, and I was, I, I do want to make that point that the gun rights advocates, you know, want to say that this is based on your second amendment right. That mm -hmm. this should be an unfettered uh, right to own a gun. And I just, I like to always make it clear that, you know, none of your constitutional fundamental rights are unfettered, are unrestrained. Uh, you know, our most famous uh, right to free speech is very, very regulated. Uh, it's not protected speech to induce violence, to uh, talk about committing a crime, to, uh, you know, to, uh, Put out obscenities or child pornography. None of that is protected speech. Even commercial speech in advertising is regulated. So this notion that um, this, you know, this second right amendment um, should be completely without regulation is, is really just, it's just, <laughs> it's very disingenuous in my opinion, because those are the same people who are very willing, who have spent careers putting restrictions on other fundamental constitutional rights. So mm -hmm. I, I find this just a really disingenuous argument and it, mm -hmm. and it really bothers me. And, um, and I'm, I'm saddened that gun rights advocates use this argument and are able to shut down um, discussion about safe and responsible gun ownership, which I know you believe in, I know your organization believes in, which I believe in, um, and all, all restrictions on constitutional rights, not all most are really done in the interest of public safety. So it makes perfect sense that our legislature would manage to look at the public safety impact of unfettered gun ownership. Uh, and, it, and the data is clear. I mean, we know, we know. And you mentioned the increase in homicide, um, but we also have to really acknowledge the increase in suicide rates. Oh yes. Um, where you, for people who have considered suicide for many years, uh, have considered it, but without access to a gun have made it through and not died. Uh, mm -hmm. But now there's a huge increase of actual successful suicide. And much of that is due to access to guns. Exactly. So, um, so I, okay. I'm just so, it's very frustrating. <laughs> It is. So um, um, go ahead. One, one of the arguments that came up on that uh, testimony 
what from Representative Smaltz was, well, show me the data where states where they have permitless carry um, shows a rise in gun homicide or gun violence. And he named, you know, Arizona, Alaska, Vermont, Maine, uh, New Hampshire, South Dakota. Well, the truth is, is that in South Dakota, um, there is a lot of gun violence. In fact, South Dakota has more deaths per 100,000 people from guns than Indiana does. I think they're 16th, we're 19th out of 50 states for the amount of death per 100,000 people due to guns. Now, the thing is in South Dakota, it's not usually gun homicide. Their death rate is higher because of gun suicide. Um, but that's part of the problem with this permitless carry because when we have people who are able to you know, carry unvetted um, without any kind of check. Right now, some of those prohibition things can be things like um, a habitual drug offender, a habitual alcohol offender that the local police department would notice when somebody applied for this. So, you know, if you are a person and you're in a dire mental state, if you are in a state of, I make, I may decide to take my own life. We know that that gun being on your hip is easy access to a gun. And so while it may not be that South Dakota saw a higher rate of gun homicide, they are obviously seeing the effects of gun suicide and then easy access to a weapon right there on their side at a moment when, you know, seconds and means matter. Right. And, and any family that has gone through, um, yes. you know, a suicide in their family, just the devastation um, and the waste, you know, the waste of, of life um, right. from suicide. And, um, one thing I wanted to say about that is that, you know, the gun lobby, they, they pick at us a lot about not, about counting gun suicide. Because when we talk about our national statistics, you'll hear us talk, um, well, in Indiana, we lose about a thousand people a year to gun violence. And that's a combination. It is gun homicide, it includes gun suicide, it includes unintentional shootings by minors. Uh, you know, it includes a wide variety of that. And about 60% of those deaths are due to gun suicide here in Indiana. And they pick at us about that because they say that we use that to inflate our numbers. Well, means matters. Somebody who tries, who does not die for, by the act of suicide, someone who's tried um, to, to, to die by suicide. It, our studies from Harvard show us that nine out of 10 of those people do not go on to die by suicide. But we know that suicide by firearm is the most deadly form. Um, right. So, right. you know, they need to start caring. <laughs> I wish that they That's had more right. empathy for people. Yeah, that would be, um, that would be crucial. Right. And there, okay. So, and there's another bill that's um, working its way through the Senate. And this mm -hmm. is the one that um, promotes the stand your ground um, uh, approach to, to right. you know, unfettered use of guns. So describe that for us and tell us, tell us what that means. Tell us what that looks like uh, in our, on our streets. Right. So Senate Bill 199 is particularly concerning because what this does is this um, includes pointing a loaded firearm at someone else as a means of reasonable force. So if 
somebody comes onto my property. And let's be honest, this, this comes from the Black Lives Matter protest from the summer. Uh, we have a few legislators who are looking at this and saying, you know, I didn't like what I saw. So this is my reaction to this. This is not the right reaction to have to this. Pointing a loaded weapon at somebody, I think we all learn in gun safety is rule number one. You never point a loaded weapon at something that you don't intend to shoot. So I don't know why we want to make it legal to point a loaded weapon at someone. It just makes, it, it, it baffles the mind that this is the solution to this. We know the standard ground laws are rooted in racism. Uh, Florida passed their standard ground law in 2005. So we have about 15 years worth of data coming out of Florida on standard ground. They found that in all the standard ground states actually, and Indiana is one of them, that 354% of the time, 354% of the time, a white shooter who shoots a black person will go free when they claim standard ground compared to a non-standard ground state. We know that um, this is going to affect so many communities of color. Uh, I had a friend who has a son who is autistic and she said to me, what does this mean for my son? My son does not communicate. He is a six foot tall, 17 year old black kid. He can get ang anxious in a store and so what you're telling us through this law is that it's going to be legal for somebody to pull out a loaded firearm and point it at him. If you think that he might be a little suspicious or he might be, you know, making some gestures that you don't like, but it's really just his, um, you know, his autism coming out and he's having an anxiety attack and nobody's there to help de-escalate de that situation. And you think pointing a loaded firearm is going to help that situation. Um, so I just don't think that they have seen what the effects of this law could really be. I don't think right. that I mean, really I mean, you, you get kind of an extreme example. Um, yeah. We know that, you know, just African-American boys right. walking down the sidewalk um, apparently trigger some fear among uh, people and, and in whatever neighborhood. And exactly. so, and if that situation, someone who happens to be in that neighborhood um, is perfectly within their rights to point their gun at this, you know, African-American person for no real reason. Right. Um, people, you know, there are many, many um, established data showing, uh, you know, there's this uh, a bit irrational fear that's triggered among white people just mm -hmm. in the presence of anyone uh, of color. So uh, this could just escalate those situations into tragedy just within seconds. Right, and it's when seconds matter, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <sighs> It is frustrating to sit here and see the numbers that we're seeing and know that we have solutions on the table and that they refuse to hear the solutions and only continue to hear things that make the problem worse. It is shocking. So, okay, so tell us again, Jennifer, tell us what the names of the bills are that mm -hmm. we need to uh, address and we need to call our legislators and tell them to oppose. Mm -hmm. So you wanna call your representative and you wanna say vote no on House Bill 1369. Okay. I don't really remember what the name of this one is. It might be Firearms Matters, but that's kind of just like a general term that they roll a lot of firearm bills into. Basically what we call this is permitless carry. 
they call it lawful carry <laughs> because they're trying to get people to think that this is, you know, that this is going to just make it so lawful. <laughs> but right. we just know that that right. it makes it's not lawful now. Right. Um, and then the other one, Senate Bill 199, uh, we want you to call your senator and we want you to ask your senator to vote no on Senate Bill 199. Okay. And I know you are doing such terrific work down there. And part of that is also getting bills uh, introduced that are helpful to public safety uh, regarding guns. So can you, I, I don't know that any of them will pass. I don't know where they'll go, but just give us an idea of the kind of bills that you'd like to see get passed. Right. So this year we had a really great um, Senate bill uh, put forth by Senator Fadi Kadora from Indianapolis. This was a safe storage bill. So we know that the best way to prevent gun violence that all of us can do as gun owners is to make sure that our guns are stored securely. By doing so, this means that you keep them locked up and away from your children. Uh, we know that you know this year already, we've had a couple of unintentional shootings here in Indiana um, that would prevent that from happening. Um, we know that it helps reduce suicide, especially teen suicide, uh, when the guns are locked because it, it gives the child a barrier from going in and reaching for that gun and making a, a fatal decision. Um, and we know that teens are impulsive and we know that sometimes they don't act <laughs> with the right train of thought. And sometimes a really bad day can go to a tragic one just because the access of that firearm is present. We had a, I had a, just a case in my neighborhood where um, a young, a teenager was mad about a girlfriend and, mm -hmm. you know, three lives were lost um, because of that, because this child, and, and when they found the child, he had like several guns that he had just picked up from here and there. Um, so mm -hmm. it, that is, you know, that is the important example about you know, parents keeping guns locked up. Yeah, and uh, we know that school shooters, 78% of school shooters get their guns from home or the home of a relative or a friend. So again, that easy access. Um, children under 18 can't purchase firearms. So that has to come through the hands of an adult in order for a child to access one. So we know that that would help some of these um, child, child gun violence issues. But on top of that, Let's talk about gun homicide. And a lot of guns and gun homicides are coming through, you know, stolen means, the uh, gun trafficking. And so when we lock up our guns, when we make sure the guns are brought in from the vehicle at night, then we're making sure that we're cutting off that flow of guns from being stolen and then passed along into a gun trafficking scheme. Um, and so that helps keep gun violence, gun homicide rates down because there isn't this easy access, this easy flow of guns um, that we do see. Wow. Well, um, so, but we can't, we, we're not going to expect that to, to happen. So that was assigned to Senator Michael Young's committee. Um, Senator Michael Young told us that he just didn't have time to hear it. Um, however, last year, he also didn't have time to hear it when it was put forth by Senator Mark Stoops from Bloomington. Um, so, you know, we're going to keep pushing for this bill because um, we know that this bill is common sense. It is gun sense. Good gun owners are already locking up their guns. Responsible gun owners are already making sure that we can do this. There's no financial barrier to doing this because gun cable gun locks are free. 
You can go and get them from your local police department, a local sheriff's department. Even some public libraries have free gun locks. Um, even at the Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, in their safety store, you can go and get free gun locks, free cable gun locks. So there's not this extra burden anywhere on anyone. The other one that we would have really liked to have seen, and it's totally not, I shouldn't say it's dead yet, but what we would really like to see is maybe some of this language get amended somewhere later in the session, and that's House Bill 1566. House Bill 1566 was put forth by Representative Maureen Bauer, and what it would do is publicize VOCA funding. So VOCA funding is a federal uh, grant program in Indiana gets funding from the federal government to support victims of violent crime. So VOCA is Victim of Crime Act. And these funds can go to people who have experienced violent crime to kind of stabilize the situation after um, you've lost a loved one to a violent incident. So for instance, uh, this bill was meant to pay for funerals of people who are taken through violent crime because a funeral expense could be $5,000 of unexpected uh, fees for a family. And it could be, and that's cheap. That's like on the low side for a cremation. Um, so this would help people access those funds and also it would publicize these funds um, through the Criminal Justice Institute. This bill... Uh, Part of what the VOCA funding, part of the issue is, is that the funds exist, but a lot of people don't know about it. So at the end of the year, the funds get left on the table. So this bill kind of helps make people aware of those funds. It helps pay for that. And then also within this bill, there was um, some allowance for gun violence intervention um, to be used funds from this VOCA fund to help fund gun violence intervention. And gun violence intervention groups if you've ever heard of Cure Violence in Oakland, or if you know about the 10 Point Coalition in Indianapolis or some of the other gun violence intervention groups, what they do is basically do targeted intervention. We know that gun violence spreads like a disease within a community. So a child who witnesses an act of gun violence, even if they just see the act and are not a victim of the act, is more likely to go on to either be a victim of gun violence or commit an act of gun violence him or herself. And so there are groups out there who specifically target those children and make sure that they're getting mental health counseling to make sure that they're on a path um, towards success, staying in school, making sure that things are um, stabilized in their life. And so the, this money would go towards programs that do that kind of work. And we know that that is essential to defeating gun violence um, within cities. But it did not get a hearing. <laughs> oh. Well, it, it's you know sad that there even is such a fund, frankly, but you know, thank goodness there is. And- Because um, there is, yeah. And we need to use yeah. those funds because we all know how that works. You don't use it, it starts to shrink up because you didn't use the money. That's so right. we got to we got to make sure that we're using it, especially as our gun violence rate is going higher. Right, right. All right. More. Well, we're we're almost out of time, okay. and I just want to say how grateful I am for the work that you are doing. This is mm -hmm. tough work, mm -hmm. and um, and you are brave and courageous um, to get out there and do it. Um, I know it's it's difficult work, especially in our Republican supermajority and who seems to be getting more and more extreme in their um, conservative and uh, you know, particularly as far as gun rights 
uh, are going. So um, thank you for all the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate you letting us come on today and talk about, <laughs> about all of us and we hope people take action. Absolutely, we need to make sure people learn about what's happening. So, all right, great. So, okay, I like to ask at the last minute, any um, parting words of wisdom that you'd like to offer? Run for office. I'm sorry? Run for office. Run for office, very good. So, well, yeah, you've gotten right to the heart of what I, what I work on mostly. So, so, yes, we need people to run for office, excellent people to run for office, that you're right. Um, uh, if I, we're not at I, the table, I, you're on the menu. That's exactly right. Very good. All right. Good message. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And hopefully yes. we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you.